Welcome everyone. I am your host Prabal Gupta, and you are listening to the Capital Analyst. This is our episode number seven, and our guest today is Mr. Mihir Shah. Mihir is the founder and managing partner at Point One Capital. Point One is an early stage VC fund that invests up to one fifty thousand dollars into pre-seed, seed, and angel investing startups. After his graduation from IIT Kanpur, Mihir started his career as an engineer at Mitsubishi Industries before he plunged into the world of startups as a senior category manager at Apple. Post this, he led the startup sourcing team at Let's Venture, and finally, he started his own VC fund, Point One Capital, in 2020. It's a pleasure to have you with us, uh, Mihir, tonight. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pravel, and uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, you know, congratulations on launching the podcast. Thanks, thanks a lot, Mihir. So uh, let's dive. One, uh, one quick, yeah, yeah. you can see sure. uh, there are two founders, me and Ravish. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know we are the both both the co-founders. Got it. So uh, let's dive right in. So first of all, like why for the benefit of the listeners, why don't you give a brief explanation of what angel investing is all about? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, great. So see, uh, we are a pre-seed focused fund, right? So essentially, ours is a VC fund, but at the stage where we invest, it is very similar to uh, how an angel investor. would evaluate startups uh, uh you know where uh, he has or she has access to right so see angel investing just to just to put it very simply it's investing into new new businesses right so you as an individual can invest into new businesses and that's when it becomes uh, angel investing otherwise there are entities like us vc funds and pe funds who are also private capital deployers but they work more institutionally right so they have a team uh, it's a separate entity Right. They have got external capital which they deploy. In case of angel investing, you deploy your own capital, right? So you as an individual take decisions. So I think that's the basic base. Just to put it simply, I think that's the basic difference and the basic definition of angel investing. Okay. So my next question is about the structure of this industry. So mm-hmm. when we talk about angel investing, there are multiple categories of players operating in this market. So mm-hmm. just to give an example, like we hear about people like. Ratan Tata or Sasha Merchandani, who are investing on an individual basis as angel investors. Mm. Then we hear about networks like India Angels Network or Mumbai Angels Network, mm. and then there are companies like Let's Venture, where you were working before this, and your own fund, Point One Capital. Mm. And then there are some category of firms called incubators and accelerators. Mm. So, can you demystify this structure mm. of this industry for us and like throw some light on how how what is the USP that each party brings to the table as an angel investor? Absolutely, absolutely. And this was, I think, and this is a great question. and this becomes a bit overwhelming at times for people outside the industry right so you know uh, so i'll i'll kind of uh i'll i'll put it in perspective right so essentially let's start with incubators and accelerators right so i think what and there's a difference between the two of them as well mm-hmm. right so suppose you are a founder right so today you thought of uh, starting your own venture right you have some uh, idea you have some insights about the market Uh, which you feel is not uh, yet tapped into, and you can kind of do a better job of it, right? So, accelerators and incubators. What they do is that in some cases, you they provide you capital and mentorship, right? So, in case you have some idea and you have got some demonstration of the idea at your end. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually at that stage you go to an uh, uh, 
accelerator and they can give you a small amount of capital let's say you know enough to help you reach a stage uh, where uh, you have proven your value proposition at a certain scale right suppose that you can go out to other vc funds or 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 larger angel investors to raise capital right in case of an incubator uh, what happens is that and obviously i think for an accelerator one important aspect is that they also run you through a mentorship program right so usually that's that's the difference between any vc fund and an accelerator mm-hmm. you apply to their uh, their a uh, program and they will select let's say 20 30 startups out of hundreds of applications or or thousands of applications rather and you know they'll then run you through a program wherein they invite mentors uh, domain specialists right who guide you in establishing your value proposition right okay. so that is one core usp of an accelerator program right and the, and the capital in some cases there is capital available that they deploy in some cases they don't deploy capital uh, but they'll help you out right and obviously the brand matters a lot so for example uh you know in case you are a part of a very well known accelerator program you are much more likely to have a fundraise success after you graduate out of the program right so that differentiates accelerators like y combinator mm-hmm. uh, from from the others right in india also we have we have a few of them these days corporates are also starting their own accelerators which are focused towards their own domain now incubator is very similar to an accelerator the only difference mm-hmm. is that in case of an incubator the programs can be longer right these are like one year you can be a part of an incubator for one or two years also mm-hmm. uh, right uh, whereas in an accelerator you only are there for a stipulated amount of a three month sort of a cohort based program and the cohort keeps on churning out uh, mm-hmm. new startups let's say there are two three cohorts in a year in case of an accelerator in case of an incubator people keep joining and leaving in a longish term a longer term sort of a basis right mm-hmm. incubators are more suited towards i would say deep tech startups mostly right because uh, they have a long gestation period they need uh, you know some access and expertise for a longer uh, duration and they need more time to prove their uh, proposition uh, so usually you'll find incubators are more uh, more likely to be situated uh, in an academic institution right for example iits isc you know mm-hmm. these guys have their own incubators because these are these these uh, institutions are supporting early stage uh, deep tech oriented technology companies right mm-hmm. accelerators are for everyone essentially right so that so these two entities come at a very early stage of your build up journey right now the thing is that so these are two different kinds of entities now talking about uh, you gave uh, i think categorized into uh, into four categories right one was uh, individual investors like ratan tata you know shankar then there are networks then there are platforms and then there are funds right uh, all these guys have a role to play in the ecosystem right so essentially now uh, again taking an example of a founder who is just starting out right they believe that they i don't need any mentorship i don't need any advice or i you know pro- probably might not need uh, a lot of hand holding in my journey right. so then you can straight away when you have that insight and you have you have proven out some part of the value proposition through some pocs or pilots right. uh, not on on the product but even offline right so suppose you were starting up uh, e-commerce uh, application no back back then right so in case you are able to prove that people want to uh, get stuff delivered at their houses right in their within their homes mm-hmm. in case you are able to prove it offline also without launching a website without launching an app this means that you have proven your value proposition at least there is a problem and you have uh, you have identified the problem and there can be some productized solution for it right at that point you can approach angel investors usually right and there is where uh, funds like ours pre seed funds also come up 
we we invest in that in that stage of our business life cycle itself right? uh-huh. now ratan tata and you know these sorts of guys they have got loads of you know capital and they are also they also want to support new innovation uh-huh. so they if you approach them they'll, they'll you know they'll probably have some decision making framework and they'll uh, agree to invest or not invest right uh-huh. whatever it is right so these are the more individual decisions in case of a network right uh-huh. in case of a network like uh, let, let's say indian angel network mumbai angels uh-huh. um, right there are multiple ipv venture catalysts multiple uh-huh. networks exist these days in india the thing is that they have thousands of angel investors right because uh, startups have evolved as an asset class many uh-huh. many, many and more people want to uh, be a part of this value creation opportunity right which uh-huh. is being presented by the startups so and obviously you know everyone is not that big 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 check writer like a again a ratan tata right we can he okay. write 500k or a million dollars also probably right or 100k sort of amount okay. normal uh, hnis might be able to write 10-15 lakhs only right okay. in case a startup is looking to raise 2 to 3 crores of capital at that okay. stage right once you have got some validation of your of your thesis okay. uh, uh, you can approach angel network which is sort of a large group right being managed by a few people who are acting more as uh, deal filterers right and uh, manage the overall investment process operationally right so you know they'll have a central team which uh, keeps talking to startups which keeps uh, at a certain level evaluating startups uh-huh. out of let's say 100 that they talk to they might like let's say 10 or 15 right these 15 startups are showcased to everyone on the on, on the network Right, so okay. they have uh, offline pitch sessions, right? Where uh, they call up uh, people. Let's say they might have an offline pitch session in Delhi. So all the guys who are in Delhi in that network, they might come okay. up, uh, come in, and essentially, you know, listen to 15 startup founders pitching, and then they can make an individual decision, right? So out of the let's say uh, 100 odd members in Delhi, 10 might be interested. Okay, I like this one. Other 10 might like the other one, right? So this way, okay. so the commitments keep getting uh, gathered. And overall, the complete two, three crores or whatever X amount of the founder wants to raise gets raised, right? Mm-hmm. And these things have now shifted offline, uh, online also, right? So essentially, you don't need to have an offline meetup; you can do it everything online. Mm-hmm. So this is on uh, an example of a normal uh, angel network. Uh, that only difference between Let's Venture Angel List and these um, uh, offline angel networks is that uh, Angel List and Let's Venture have a more of a tech-led uh, play. Right. Mm-hmm. Whatever was happening offline, let's say you know meetups, deal showcase. So uh, in case of a let's say a, a venture catalyst or a mm-hmm. Indian engine network, uh, I'm not sure what their current process is like. But mm-hmm. you know they might be sending emails and WhatsApps to all the guys. Right. They have some. Mm-hmm. Whereas in case of an angel list or a let's venture, uh, there's a tech platform where you can just log in and look at what all deals are being. Right, so that's the main difference between the two entities, and all the three, right? And I, I would even combine accelerator, accelerator, incubator here. Uh-huh. All these, uh, you know, four uh, sorts of investing entities, right? Uh, individual angels, uh, accelerator incubators, uh, networks, and platforms, right? All these three come at a very, very early stage of uh-huh. this, uh, you know, business's life cycle, right? And uh, that you can there's no there's there's a lot of fluidity in the nomenclature these days but essentially mm-hmm. it's all it's all a part of the pre-seed uh, stage or a seed stage sort of a spectrum combined right mm-hmm. and the last bit is the vc funds like us 
uh, we are an early stage uh, smaller smaller fund mm-hmm. and then there are you know larger funds like let's say a sequoia or an excel nexus lightspeed all of those guys right and the difference between us and them is that they have a larger corpus to manage uh, they are uh, you know obviously very established so they mm-hmm. might invest into a early stage company when things are being figured out in uh, certain cases but mostly they look for more maturity in terms of traction and the uh, proof of the value proposition before mm-hmm. they come into the group, right so mm-hmm. plug that yeah funds like us exist right? so i think you know this is an overall picture and uh, uh and essentially you know then there are you know some other vc funds also who might only do uh seed who might only do seed rounds uh, you know they might only mm-hmm. do a bit some something between a 500k to a million or a half and a half million so mm-hmm. everyone has a different ticket size uh, range which mm-hmm. they, uh, uh, essentially have decided through the uh, investment thesis of the complete fund essentially using the valuation numbers how much mm-hmm. how many investments they want to do and got it got it. that's that's a very comprehensive answer meer so uh, now moving on to the role of an angel investor so yeah so i was recently reading a book on angel investing by mr sanjay kulkarni hmm. and he makes the following point that uh, survival instinct is something that trumps capability in the startup ecosystem hmm. and he says that as an angel investor your entire job is to connect the startup to the next line of capital and ensure that they survive through this time and increase their survival period correct essentially so first first question is like do you agree with that statement and second question is if yes then what is the value that angel investors are providing here to increase the survival period of a startup absolutely i think that 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 has been very well put uh i i think the first uh see i think when you are angel investing right there are two reasons to angel invest right mm-hmm. one is that you want to gain uh, you know make financial returns right i mean and you're only investing purely because of that reason and you want to treat it as a financial asset class right the second uh, uh you know uh, reason or the intent could be you just want to you are passionate about you know helping helping new businesses uh, getting uh, get build up right mm-hmm. so essentially you know when you are in the second category right then it really helps to follow that logic of you know putting survival first right mm-hmm. but when you are here uh, for a financial return sort of an objective i would say you know, thriving is also important right mm-hmm. because it's not only about surviving it's also about thriving right so uh it, you know I, i'll tell you why i'm you know putting it this way mm-hmm. is because the way any equity investment generates generates returns is through exits at higher multiples or probably an ipo right mm-hmm. and if you are looking for financial returns quickly you might want to shorten that time frame of you getting a big win really fast right so in case the the business is running right in case the business is linearly growing but not you know being able to figure it out and probably mm-hmm. scale up as as fast as possible uh they'll keep uh, raising capital and uh, uh uh essentially uh, your returns might not uh happen for a longer uh, duration right mm-hmm. but in case the company is putting a hit or a miss uh, sort of a strategy mm-hmm. uh, uh you know uh, uh, to work right mm-hmm. in that case what will happen is that either things go down to zero mm-hmm. right? either the startup completely goes off or the startup 
becomes really big right so essentially in case you are going for financial returns only right then i again my personal opinion then i think the hit or miss approach works best uh, even from the strategy point of view uh, on the founders right in case we are willing to wait and be patient and see a new business evolve mm-hmm. uh, itself i think in that case obviously survival uh, has to be has to be the you know has to be the uh, main priority because ultimately i think in case the team is resilient enough the portion is there and they have a good value proposition right ultimately i think in in due course they'll they'll have uh, they'll see uh, they'll see the light of the day essentially right in terms mm-hmm. of uh, success uh and the third point here is that uh, see obviously i think uh, you know at at different time points uh, there are different priorities also right so suppose i as a founder experimented a few things mm-hmm. and i was not able to kind of uh, uh, essentially uh, you know get to a point where uh, i am lucrative enough for a next round investor or let's mm-hmm. say a acquirer or something right at that point i might change my strategy and i might need more capital to sustain myself right so that is obviously you know that happens and we as a fund manager also uh, you know help our founders a lot on that on that uh, uh, you know on, on on that aspect right uh, but this is not how we start uh, you know when we actually uh, uh, you know start engaging with the founders right our engagement process starts with going for the going for the home run essentially we also help out our founders on mm-hmm. the sustainability and survival aspect uh, whenever it comes whenever the uh, time comes but mm-hmm. from the day one our priorities go for the a uh, big win straight away right and don't de risk a lot more than needed essentially right i think that's one part and i think secondly you asked about the value adds right so i think mm-hmm. as a angel investor or as a early stage fund manager right i think the value adds are primarily in three domains right one is mm-hmm. you help them with the fundraise next round fundraise help them out with the story lining uh what to prioritize in order to make it happen and all that uh then obviously a part of that is uh, connecting with uh, next round mm-hmm. capital uh, next round uh, uh, investors uh, the second uh, value add uh, line item uh, is your uh, hiring help right so people i mean you all know that you know techies are in short supply and talent in general is in short supply right so i think whatever you can do to help them get the best folks right so i think we we engage engage with them continuously on that mm-hmm. and the third aspect is a business strategy or product inputs you know wherever we feel that we can add some uh, you know something to the uh, to to the to the to the uh, uh, pathway essentially right? in in terms of the uh, let's say let, let's say they are kind of approaching a market in a b2b2c manner right suppose we feel that a b2c approach might still work we you know obviously discuss this with our founders and obviously they are the best judge because they are on ground whether you know they in many cases uh, do some experiments uh, run some pilots and see whether whatever we are suggesting works or not or they might have tried it and uh, you know they come back with the results of that so i think you know it the third piece is essentially a pretty uh, you know it's it's a high engagement piece but it's some something wherein we believe that founders know best we are there to uh, add wherever possible but mm-hmm. it might not uh, you know move the needle then and there mm-hmm. the is uh, aspect i think we are uh, extremely critical hiring we are uh, you know uh, i think uh, it's it's again a good to have and the mm-hmm. last one is again a good to have but at a lower uh, priority than the hiring mm-hmm. got it 
So now that you you talked about the value of patience as an angel investor, and especially in the initial stages, there's a lot of experimentation. So Correct. even a good story to support this is the story of InMovie. Like hmm. I was reading, like it started as M Coach, which was basically a mobile-based search platform, hmm. and they raised angel investing on this premise. But some months down the line, they realized this is not going to work, and they switched to SMS-based marketing. Hmm. And the angel investors were supportive of that. And further three or four months down the line, they realized this is also not going to work. And maybe mobile internet is something that is one of the biggest disruptors coming in the industry. And they actually pivoted to mobile internet-based hmm. advertising, rebranded to InMobi, and actually became India's first unicorn. Hmm. So the promoter, the angel investors specifically, there made the point that at very early stages we are betting on promoters rather than the business. And hmm. the team of four people led by navin tiwari and the others was was something that they were betting on and were confident about so as people investing in pre seed startups how do you evaluate that a promoter in one or two or three meetings so that you can actually bet on him as a person and not completely on the business model he is proposing yeah i think i think i think that's the key right i think at an early stage team is the major contributor to our decision obviously there has to be a market opportunity there has to be some Uh, advantage that the company has, all of that has to be there. Uh, but uh, the team is the most critical, as you mentioned, right? And see, I think evaluating teams, frankly speaking, you know, it's it's not that easy. You know, I'm also learning. We are, you know, we are also learning here essentially, right? So I think on the team part, obviously, I mean, when you talk to founders, right? So I think the first uh, uh, Couple of things, a right? couple of important things that we look at, right? One is what insights the, does the person bring to the table, right? So, in case you are, uh, let's say, you know, starting something in the gaming space, right? For example, so what? Why do you think? You know, what? What are the unique insights that that you bring to the table, and how unique are those? And how based in data, uh, and how based in research are those, right? I think that's that's a very critical aspect. Right. and obviously i think the quality of insights helps yeah. us uh, filter teams as well uh, you know because you know we have i would have spoken to probably what like 500 okay. 1000 founders essentially right so we have seen some patterns over time and they help us uh, filter on the insights level then second important aspect is the vision right how big is the vision of the uh, of the founders uh, do they really want to make it big here right uh, or are, are they kind of uh you know probably are they not thinking uh, uh, of, of those things right so uh, the vision becomes pretty critical uh for the vision to uh uh you know for the vision to get executed uh, you need a lot of uh, storytelling uh, you need uh, people management skills right uh, so does the founder demonstrate those capabilities right mm-hmm. uh, you know will they be able to raise capital at the required time points will they be able to hire the right people will they be able to hire senior people right so i think all of these things we obviously ask them directly on mm-hmm. our calls but also we keep getting some cues uh, from their responses right mm-hmm. and based on whatever patterns we have seen in our past uh, investments uh, we kind of uh, you know decide mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, a yes or a no on the team aspect in case other things are uh, good enough right yeah so i think that's the base. but but i i just to close it off i'll say it's it's more art than science right so you know there's no fixed uh, framework in which you can evaluate a team it's about people evaluation and i don't think anyone has uh, you know been able to figure out figure it out yet mm-hmm. right so it's an evolving evolving journey uh, okay 
so considering that this this is an important aspect of angel investing mm-hmm. like can you give an example of a particular insight or a particular case wherein you evaluated some promoter of a startup and it turned out good or worse like without taking names or like however you like it hmm so uh, i obviously there are there are a lot of them uh, so i mean uh, uh, you know i think see i, I can give you some examples right so mm-hmm. for example in in case and and i think i'll just caveat it with with this point that you know uh, i mean you no one knows when uh, success will actually happen right so we not first of all we not investing is not an indicator of the potential mm-hmm. of the business or the potential of the team anyway right and it's the true it's true for all the vcs you'll ask any of them you know they'll probably come back with the same thought process mm-hmm. uh, but yeah i think i think you know in in, in, in a cup, i think i these all things lie in the same brackets right so at some point mm-hmm. we felt that the vision was missing right so founder founder was probably thinking too small right we were able to provide ideas to the founders which they might not have thought about or you know we were able to provide ideas to the founders which they were uh, uh probably you know uh, not aware of and not willing to execute because of certain uh, uh you know uh, opinions they might have had right without basing it on hard data or without researching it well enough right or uh, uh in 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 cases where it has uh, turned out positive i think i would say uh where you know wherever we have felt that the founder probably thinks of things which we might not have thought about mm-hmm. right uh i think those are the you know those are the kind of teams where uh we have felt we are most impressed right where mm-hmm. we have felt there are some gaps and probably we can do a i mean at least sitting on the sidelines and if we just evaluate it theoretically uh, probably you know we can probably ideate better or probably we we have some thoughts which the founders are not able to kind of wrap their head around right so there is where we have felt that it might uh, need a lot more hand holding than we can possibility uh, possibly you know mm-hmm. provide right so i think those are the cases where we uh, uh, do not associate in the other cases we associate got it so now that we have talked about analyzing a promoter and betting on the team the next part that comes is analyzing the market opportunity of the solution the founders are proposing hmm. and one of the most common metrics that is thrown around is target addressable market or tam hmm. but i i feel this this metric is slightly biased like this is my opinion because in a very large country like india like even the most niche opportunities will have a very large tam and it becomes tough to judge like what is the exact obtainable portion of that tam that our startup has a real shot at targeting absolutely so as investors how do you break down that tam metric and actually look at what is the realistic market opportunity here sure sure so i, I think very very valid point prabal and i think and i agree with you that you know evaluate tam see overall first point is that uh market size is important right that is uh, that's really critical and for a angel investor or a vc fund to succeed and generate good returns we need to be investing into companies which can scale up to a extremely uh high value essentially right because the whole value chain works like that uh now coming to your question about how do we evaluate that see i think going we don't go by the numbers first of all right we don't go by at least the top down numbers right so suppose you know someone comes comes to us and tells us that uh you know i'm i'm doing this and there's this bcg report which mentions the market size to be 10 billion dollars mm-hmm. 20 billion dollars whatever that number might be 
uh, we don't go by that because uh, you know those are calculations which combine multiple uh, tgs right and uh, we are not very sure of the assumptions that have gone into mm -hmm. uh, arriving at those numbers right so what we do is that we prefer bottom up calculations right so suppose uh, you tell me that you are creating a software for uh, uh, small businesses for example in india right smb saas is the term used for that uh, and specifically within smbs you are targeting manufacturers right now obviously once we are on board with your value proposition mm -hmm. uh, uh, we will try to understand what can you charge what are, what will your pricing be right so suppose the founder tells us that i will i'll be charging 500 rupee per user per customer and assuming that is uh, you know that is feasible uh, right mm -hmm. i mean people will pay that amount right so then we do you know and a very i think uh, high level analysis of okay, india has 10 million SME, smes right every sme might have five users so we have 50 million users here and everyone is paying you 500 rupee a month which is let's say 8 dollars in a year it will be 100 dollars right mm -hmm. so 50 million people paying 100 dollars means a 5 billion going with the bottom up approach right now within these uh, 10 million smbs obviously not everyone will digitize mm -hmm. so essentially 5% digitize which means that you are still you still have a 250 million dollars revenue opportunity Mm -hmm. for us the benchmark is that of the of the of the big of uh, in terms of the outcome right mm -hmm. what what we want to at least uh, see a path of or see the visibility of is a 100 million dollar annual revenue essentially mm -hmm. right and in case of a consumer internet startup which is a consumer internet app it it might be let's say 100 uh, you know or 50 to 100 million uh, uh, downloads right mm -hmm. so is there a path to that right through bottom up uh, calculative approaches Uh, in case it is there, then we uh, go ahead. Uh, in case we uh, see that this is not being arrived at, then what we do is that we look at the evolution of the market. Essentially, is this market itself growing? Right. Mm -hmm. Suppose today we have suppose, and hypothetically speaking, suppose today we have 10 million SMBs, but five years down the line we are expecting to have 50 million SMBs. Right. Mm -hmm. At that time point, you know, the market can probably match the threshold. Right. or the second scenario might be that uh, currently this founder the company has one single product but even if they are not able to tap into the kind of market uh, uh, you know percentages they want to tap into but can they sell new products to the same customer so that increases their per user revenue right? mm -hmm. so i think considering these other two elements also in case we are able to arrive at uh, the benchmark numbers then also we go ahead in okay. case we are not able to kind of uh, see that see that scale even after all these uh, you know logics and methodologies right then we'll have to uh, you know uh, uh, pass this because ultimately we don't see how our exit will happen or you know what our likely outcome is going to be mm -hmm. got it and now that you have mentioned about scale and how you are looking for is a path to profitability for that startup going forward so my question is that first of all how do we exactly define scale because i think this is something that everyone says about growth scale how fast you are growing but what exactly is meant by scalability when it comes to a business or a startup sure sure and what is the difference between scalability and replicability like is it okay. is it something different or is it means essentially the same thing no no great great question again so you know see i think i'll tell you first of all scalability if you go by the literal definition mm -hmm. it would mean replicability right it it would mean uh, standardization uh, if you just look at the term right it would mean that you have built something 
which can be replicated. We you built a unit which can be replicated to thousand units without any change in quality. Right. Essentially, you know that's 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 how you judge whether something is. Uh, literally, I'm saying that's how you judge whether something is scalable or not. Right. Now, when we talk about scalability in the VC uh, terminology, right, colloquially the way we talk about, I think what we are talking about is more scalable versus less scalable. Right. We are not talking about absolute scalability, right? Because every business is absolutely scalable, right? McDonald's completely scalable, right? Multiple businesses, restaurant chains. If you have some standardization within the within the uh, single uh, restaurant outlet, right? Mm-hmm. You can replicate that hundred times. I think that's again scalable, but that is less scalable as compared to a Swiggy, or or as compared to a Zomato, right? Mm-hmm. Which is uh, which is which is where tech uh, comes into the play, right? now what things promote uh, what things make you more scalable is 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 the level of technology you have in your value chain right uh, second is how capital efficient you are right so when i talk about a uh, startup which is more scalable it means that they have high level of uh, digitization and they use high level of uh, technology within within their processes they do not require uh, working capital they do not require capex right they do not require a lot of people right to kind of, to uh, essentially uh, uh, provide that value prop to their customers right so any of these things working capital capex or people in case these these three uh, elements are a core part of your uh, value chain right that they end up reducing the level of scalability of the startup essentially Mm-hmm. So, so I think I think that's how we put it essentially, right? So, in case you have complete tech uh, asset light model where you have least amount of people involvement, right? And the capital is only going uh, for building the product and marketing it out, right? That's mm-hmm. the most scalable company. Right? And obviously, I think within that uh, spectrum also, if you have more network effects, all of that help you scale faster. But but the product becomes uh, scalable. Right? So, yeah, I think that's that's the Basic difference, right? I think, and uh, I, I, I think, I think lots of people kind of, you know, get confused uh, because mm-hmm. of these terms, right? But I think what we're talking about is the level of scalability within the business, mm-hmm. not absolute scalability. So now, so like this is a very interesting like definition you give because because this kind of links to my next question that I was going to ask is that is valuation multiple or premium different for scalability and profitability? Primarily because like. From where I'm coming at this question is so I was reading there's a there's this company called Wow Momos and mm. it initially started as a completely bootstrapped startup and this is this was something that was this company was showing a lot of growth and profitability expanded to tens outlets within Calcutta but they had a hard time raising money from angel investors just because they couldn't agree on valuation and angel investors felt that this company is not as much as the founders are asking for and they the founders basically kept reinvesting all their profits raised some debt to expand and. Only very recently did they actually get funding from some VCs. On the other hand, we have a company like Dunzo, which is not at all profitable, is actually losing 10 times of what it is making. But maybe because of scalability, as you mentioned, people are willing to invest in it and its valuation multiple is at least three, four times higher than what a company like Baum was making. Hmm. So is there a difference when it comes to valuation I'll tell as you. in angel investors? Yeah. Sure, sure. So see, I think, first of all, uh, if you look at the public markets, mm-hmm. right? So the valuations there, the P, the private the P ratio mm-hmm. that, that we all know, right? That is higher for a company which is more profitable, 
right? Because there is a higher amount of free cash flow that will that will generate in the future, right? And it is higher for companies which are growing fast, mm-hmm. right? So and that is replicated in the private market also. So in case you are more profitable, which means you have higher margins, right? And second, if you are growing fast, right? Both of these things contribute to a higher uh, multiple that you can command on the valuation uh, discussion when you are interacting with a potential investor, right? Now, see, uh, comparing Dunzo and a Wow Momo, right? So, any tech Dunzo is a tech company. Wow Momo is not a tech company. It's a, it's a retail uh, chain, right? The advantage, why you know, the advantage of a tech company is that it can command extremely high margins. In a tech company, mm-hmm. if you look at the operational margins for a particular transaction, right? I mean, some uh, assuming some someone is doing well and all, the expected margins are seventy to eighty percent. So they spend let's say twenty rupees in acquiring a customer. Uh, but they are generating, let's say, 100 rupees out of that transaction, or the LTV, uh, at least LTV will, will be 100 rupees for that particular company, right? And uh, you know, then obviously, I think this is including your uh, referrals and whatever is coming out of uh, that particular customer, right? They might bring in two, three more customers. Combining everything, in case you spend 20 rupees, you're making 100 rupees. That's the ideal uh, tech uh, uh, cash flow statement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is 70, 80% margin. Now, if you look at an ideal operational margin of a company like a Wow Momo, which is a retail-oriented company, mm-hmm. there the margins might not be that high. The margins in general, because the business is, uh, you know, uh, 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 constructed such a way, structured such a way, right? The business margins mm-hmm. are 20 percent on a transaction, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think on a, on a higher side. Mm-hmm. So one thing is that the margins are lower uh, in these two uh, cases, which is why Danzo can command a higher valuation. Wow Momo might not be. Mm-hmm. And same thing we have seen in you know multiple uh, uh, you know, other companies as well. You know similar similar differences. And the second thing is that uh, uh, in case of a Wow Momo, uh, they are needing capital to create new chains, right? To let's say they'll raise hundred million dollars to probably establish hundred new outlets, right? All of this, you know, so essentially this money is going into capex. Mm-hmm. You are actually probably you know owning assets. Uh, then you are deploying people who are, you know, mm-hmm. your staff there and all that, right? All these things essentially uh, are going into reducing the margins, but they're also making you highly capital dependent. So mm-hmm. Tomorrow, in case your margins are low, in case you want to really grow fast, in case you really want to expand from 100 to 1000 outlets, you'll again mm-hmm. need a new round of funding. You'll again need to hire thousands of employees, right? You'll again need more time uh, to essentially uh you know uh, create 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 those uh, outlet chains and all that right so uh, there is always a dependency on capital right for expansion for mm-hmm. growth and there is always uh the speed is can't be that high right in case of a dunzo uh, there is capital to probably market themselves right uh, online digitally right no operational presence uh, nothing mm-hmm. uh, they have their riders and there can be different models on the rider side but uh, the speed of capital deployment and generating returns from that capital is very, very high. And they have got higher margins because they themselves are not doing anything and not owning anything. Right. So I think these mm-hmm. things essentially differentiate a tech company versus a non-tech company, which is why the, uh, uh, the multiples that they can command are different. Mm-hmm. So 1000 crores of revenue for a wow Movo versus 1000 crores of revenue for a Dunzo is mm-hmm. not going to result in the same value when the valuation discussion is Got it. Got it. Makes sense. So uh, borrowing another concept from the public market. So in value investing, there's a concept of scuttlebutt analysis. 
So what that means is, so let's say if I want to buy shares of HUL tomorrow. So in addition to analyzing the financial statements of HUL, I'll also go talk to distributors and retail shop owners to see what kind of margins HUL is offering them. Mm. What is their perception in the market? How satisfied are they with their logistics and delivery? I'll probably go to a retail chain and see what is the shelf presence of products manufactured by HUL mm. and all these kind of things to get a sense of on the ground reality of how the business is looking. Mm. Is there is there something similar you do when a startup approaches you and how do you go about that? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, so again, it depends upon investor by investor. This mm -hmm. process is called business uh, diligence, right? Uh, so, I mean, you might have heard the term due diligence. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so it's it, and due diligence has three parts. One is business DD, business due diligence, mm -hmm. then financial and legal, right? Financial okay. and legal are more like auditing whatever you have you know, told the investors and auditing mm -hmm. your legal aspects and all that. Those are mm -hmm. more, uh, you know, regulatory in nature. A business DD is essentially this. No, when when we let's say you know you are a founder, you come to pitch to me. Uh, obviously, I'll understand from you. You know what your thoughts are, what your insights are, what are you building? Do you think there is a need in the market? Uh, you know what all have you done so far and all that, right? But then to validate uh, whatever I've heard, right? See, because founders need capital, and they'll mm -hmm. you see you know these are all pitches, right? Where the intent is clearly you know getting the investment from the investors, right? So we also need to not go by face value of. Uh, of uh, at the, at the face value of what the founders are voicing out, we also do our own research within which we talk to the uh, companies in case they have got current customers, we might talk to a couple of them. In many cases, we ask the founders themselves to introduce us to a couple of clients so that we can kind of get a one-on-one -on -one feedback. In other cases, we might you know, uh, talk to some potential customers which are not yet customers of the company but are suitable uh, as, as per the TG of the company, right? We might talk to them and get uh, get their insights, right? Uh, in case it's an online product or an online platform, then we also go to the platform and probably put in a request, okay. right? Or or use the app, right? To see whether you know it is uh, uh, being used as intended. What what is happening on that product and all that. Right? So I think this is an integral part of every evaluation process, and uh, because we want to validate what we're assuming uh, when we are talking to the founder and we're hearing it from the founder. Got it. And now, like, finally talking about how angel investors eventually exit out of an investment they make. So the idea could be that some funds might be interested in increasing their churn and exiting at the next or maybe two or three funding rounds down the line at a five or 10x multiple. Mm -hmm. And then there are also stories in the market where an angel investor who invested right at the beginning holds on to the company right till the IPO. Examples yeah. are like Anupam Mittal with Ola or Sanjeev Vikchandani with Zomato and probably makes a thousand X return. So hmm. how are you looking at as an angel investor at differentiating between these and what is your ideal time horizon of exiting from an investment? Sure, sure, sure. So you see, uh, in our case, we are uh, planning to exit in a series B or a series C round. Okay. Uh, in the current market, a series B would mean somewhere between 15 to 30, 40 million, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that range. And uh, a series C would be 40 million and beyond, essentially, mm -hmm. 40 to 100 million, right? So, and, and the series B usually takes three to four years to happen after our investment and a series C might be a, again, a three to five year game, right? Because, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, things happen very, very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the time horizon and those are the uh, round stages we look to exit, right? So uh, 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 the way it works, uh, probably is that, see, if I was, it, it all depends upon uh, what do I want as an investor, right? Mm -hmm. Because the risk is still there, 
right so if i invest as a seed if i invest as an angel investor in the first rounds right mm-hmm. suppose let's say someone like a sequoia or an axel came in, in the next round right and they are uh, investing at 10 times the value at which i had invested mm-hmm. and they are open to providing uh, exits to early investors right mm-hmm. then uh, i might as an investor think that okay i'm getting a 10x why don't i take this 10x because still risk is there in the in the business right it's not a huge it, it's not a guaranteed success yet mm-hmm. even after a series a or a or a pre series or a seed round by these funds companies can go down to zero right so i'll have to make that calculation okay do i see enough risk mm-hmm. uh, 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 that i should exit now or do i see a certain uh, probably uh, not a certain but do i see a more uh, a higher than uh, normal chance of success right mm-hmm. that is one consideration the second consideration is that okay i get 10x out of this company but i have got these other five investment options where i can deploy and probably again make a quick 10x mm-hmm. instead of holding on to this company for the 100x from here which might take 3 years why don't why don't i take out the cash and invest into something else which might give me uh, again a 10x in one and a half years so it depends upon how you are planning your investments what are the available alternative options because ultimately from that exit what mm-hmm. will Right. You anyway is you are anyway going to invest somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So is the other option available to you better than what the existing stake would provide you in the next three or four years? Mm-hmm. I think that is the main, you know, framework of decision making. Obviously, uh, along with the potential you see in the company, because you have been an investor in the company for for a longer amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So you already know what the journey has been like, mm-hmm. right? and what you had expected has it actually happened or not. right uh, have the founders been executing well enough or not right so those informative points are already there which might help you make a informed decision at that time point right so and obviously i think the third uh, part of this is that the founders should also agree right mm-hmm. in case the founders really you know uh, can't dilute more and the only way they can raise the next round is through providing secondary to the earlier investors right and mm-hmm. the investor wants a certain level of stake right then they ask all the investors to kind of you know probably sell a part of their share and you have to mm-hmm. uh mandatorily exit right uh, in case you share a good rapport with the founder right in case you have added a lot of value made a lot of connects have been a real sounding board to them then they might have you for a longer amount of time because even if there is some exit pressure from the incoming investor right so it also is, uh, uh depend upon the invest uh, relationship you share with the founder mm-hmm. and what has uh that journey been like got it got it and generally like when you invest uh, in early stage startups with and equity stake you also get some representation in the board of directors of the company Correct. so how is your role as an angel investor in the board looks like and what are the kind of decisions that founders approach you with that as a board member how do you add value in those kind of meetings sure sure so see i think one difference between an angel investor and the way we work right and see mm-hmm. an individual angel investor unless and until they are writing a large check let's say 20 30 40% of the round right they might not be getting a board seat in the in the company right mm-hmm. so i think individual angels these days who are probably uh, writing 4 5% of the round individually they don't get a board seat but usually there is some representative uh, for them for example in case they are a part of a network like venture catalyst right someone mm-hmm. from venture catalyst might be sitting on the board or the let's venture might be sitting on the board or angel is might be sitting on the board right so that's the way it works for individual angels for us uh, because we are a fund and we usually write checks with a 30 40% of the round we yeah. ourselves get to sit on the board right so i think you know i just made that clarification so as your listeners don't get confused you know in case they are an angel mm-hmm. uh, and they should not be thinking that i didn't get a board seat because that's not the norm right 
Well, if you're a large investor, do, usually do you get a board, and that also is not guaranteed. Again, it depends upon how much the founder values you. Now, uh, in terms of the role, see, early stage invest in the kind of stage we invest. These companies are six months to twelve months old, right? There are only the founders. You no, know, probably that to see other employees. Uh, lots of uh, you know stuff to be figured out. Uh, no processes mostly. Right? So I think it's it's not a very formal formal board sort of a thing as you, you know as 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 the kind of uh image goes right so it's it's more a uh, it's more of a brainstorming sort of a you know session that we do every every month or every alternate uh, every every two weeks right mm-hmm. and those essentially are uh, meetings which uh overlap as board meetings essentially right mm-hmm. so uh on paper we are a board member but it does not uh, create any difference in the kind of engagement we have with okay. the founders on a month on month or a week or week basis mm-hmm. because the startups are so early there are no processes nothing so adding more formal structures and formal means of communication only adds to the inefficiency mm-hmm. you want to maintain a more fluid uh, flow on the communication side uh, obviously on paper uh, on paper we have some rights right uh, you know there are some things that the founder can't do without a board approval like adding a new co-founder or mm-hmm. selling his or her stake to a new buyer right so all of those things are mentioned in the shareholding agreement and in rare cases when such things come up uh, we also have to play the role of Uh, either agreeing to it or disagreeing, and probably suggesting the new path forward. Mm-hmm. Got it. So now, like shifting the line of questions a little bit. So coming on to your personal career journey. So you have made like two broad shifts, like the way I see it. Like one is from a core engineering background to moving on to the world of startups, and then last year you decided to start your own fund. So what what was the thought process that you like behind these two shifts, and how did you approach this change? Sure. So I think, see, I'll I'll start with the uh, with the with the first experience, right? So I was at Mitsubishi in Japan, a uh, great company, great people, uh, you know, great country as well. Uh, good role. I was busy managing clients across the globe, right? So it was, but it was an engineering role, but it had a high level of sales uh, aspect to it, right? So it was a sales plus engineering sort of a combination. I was there. It was all good, but you know, in 2016 odd, right? This whole tech ecosystem was already had already been taking off, and it kind of, in kind of, was uh, uh, becoming very apparent that the tech story in India is, you know, finally uh, playing out. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and many of my friends were starting up, or probably they were joining uh, joining companies as startups. Mm-hmm. I used to hear their stories, right? What they do in a, on a day to day basis, and you know, how the whole ecosystem is kind of evolving and. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is being very dynamic with new ideas coming springing up day day after day. So I also wanted to kind of be a part of something like that, uh, as compared to being in a large corporate with ten thousand employees, right? So mm-hmm. I think that was the first uh, reason why I shifted. I moved from that uh, to the startup uh, life because obviously mm-hmm. in a startup, as any uh, potential young employee would tell you. Is that you know there is an expectation of a lot of creative stuff uh, happening, right? In case mm-hmm. you are brainstorming, you are problem solving, uh, you are creating some value, right? And as an employee in a large corporate, that percentage of value addition that you can do to the company might be uh, much lower than what you can do in a startup. That was the main reason I came came back to India and joined Urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then it was Urban Clap, uh, really uh, you know uh, successful company. Back then it was already funded by Axel, Bessemer, and all that. Mm-hmm. and i joined as the senior category manager of home improvement vertical which includes your architecture interior design and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, painting lighting home construction all all these decor furnishing all these categories 
very interesting um, uh, uh, set of categories pretty challenging as well uh, and i was essentially responsible for the complete uh, revenue growth uh, as well as uh, profitability of these categories back then mm-hmm. essentially reducing the csr increasing the revenues increasing the customer base and all that mm-hmm. so i got a very good hang of how a tech company scales up right what 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 levers you pull uh, to you know scale up a vertical build up mm-hmm. expand cities all of that uh so operationally it was very rewarding lots of insights uh lots of functional exposure as well marketing product analytics uh customer support also right uh, uh, uh so i think there i got the one one of of, of the mm-hmm. experience right of how the company scales up but in a, i kind of you know figured for myself that probably i'll be happier because i have optimized for for my own uh you know uh, satisfaction essentially in mm-hmm. what i do on a day to day basis right so probably i'll be happier in case i was a part of multiple journeys as compared to being a part of a single journey right which mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur or as a uh, co team employee uh, obviously you have you have devoted your life next 5 7 years to that particular uh, domain or that particular mm-hmm. thing itself right uh i did not see my myself being very comfortable with that i wanted to be a part of multiple things happening and obviously cross mm-hmm. my learnings across across the across the mm-hmm. different uh, you know relationships that i maintained right so that's when i thought i should shift, shift to a probably a vc role it gives me a mm-hmm. combination of startups as well as uh, tech as well as uh, this side of uh, uh, career which i want to explore mm-hmm. uh, then i you know started looking out got into let's venture where i was the head of startup Mm-hmm. diligence uh did a lot of good deals there right class plus uh was was one khata book which was there back then called kite we did mm-hmm. that uh created a very solid base of network uh, with angel investors founders uh, other vc funds right and you know overall got a pretty good hang of how uh, how the early stage ecosystem in india was mm-hmm. that's when me and my co-founder ravish right uh, he ravish was there for a longer time he was there for uh from 2016 mm-hmm. i had joined in 2018 jan right so we both kind of engaged a lot and we both mm-hmm. looked at this early stage space the pre seed space, uh, space or the angel space mm-hmm. uh has a gap and there can be a lot more capital uh, deployment uh, than what is happening currently so why not you know uh, move out and probably mm-hmm. start, uh, investing yourselves uh, we already have the deal access we already mm-hmm. have books ready for helping the portfolio founder so why not Right. So then, in July 2019, we both moved out, uh, gave it a shot, and from Jan 2020, we have been investing, and uh, now we are at 30 companies uh, on the portfolio side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have deployed close to three million dollars already. The fund size is seven million dollars, and essentially hoping to make uh, a couple of investments every month from here on. Right. So it has been a good journey, and as you mentioned, I have seen the complete spectrum. Right. Corporate mm-hmm. startups, uh, angel investing, and then my own fund, and obviously it has been full of learnings, which. help on the portfolio side a lot mm-hmm. so all of these you know uh, uh, insights help into uh, help in either filtering uh, better or adding value better both of which contribute to uh, a better uh, probability of success mm-hmm. so that's that's quite an interesting journey you have had uh, and so as you mentioned that there's a lot of learnings you have had over these past 7 years especially during your entrepreneurship phase with point one capital So, what is that one key thing that you feel that this entrepreneurship exposure on your own gave you? That also helps you better understand how other startups are performing and how those promoters are uh, experiencing their lives. Hmm. Okay, interesting question. So, you are asking about 
from my own uh, journey as a found co-founder of Point One Capital. Yeah, like so, yeah. like before that, you like you were analyzing startups mm-hmm. and their promoters. So when you yourself became one in a way with your mm-hmm. own fund, what is that one thing that surprised you or one thing that was not something that you were not expecting and you got to learn that okay, maybe things this work this way when you actually plunge into them. So, so I think. Uh, See, there have been multiple, you know, learnings, right? And all of these learnings uh, are abstracted and keep coming uh, to mind whenever we keep engaging with founders. But I think mm-hmm. if we, if I have to pick one thing, right, I, I would say, uh, uh, you know, believe in what you're doing, essentially, right? I think, I think that's a very key aspect uh, because nothing is not possible, right? So instead of assuming that something might not happen or some, I'm not probably ready for something. Right. I think you should go give it a shot and uh, you know, give you 100% uh, to that initiative. Right. Uh, in many cases, the there is a high chance that you know positive outcomes will come out. Either you'll do what you intended to do always or you end up doing something which is probably even better. Right. For us, this has worked. Uh, starting a fund at, uh, you know, this, this was our first fund and we did not have any investing track record mm-hmm. uh, as an investor or as a fund manager. Right. But we still went out, you know, started talking to people, and uh, you know, they were uh, we were fortunate enough that people actually showed faith in our strategies, right? Uh, so it was it would have been very easy for us to drop the idea itself because you know we, uh, you know, no one has thought about doing a fund right mm-hmm. this early in their careers, right? But we, we we thought about it. We went out in the market, started talking to people, uh, and and spent some six nine months mm-hmm. uh, essentially ideating, changing, uh, and, and and you know, engaging people. And finally, you know, it all it all kind of uh, came together, right? So I think uh, go out and try and believe in what you uh, what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Got it. And uh, so one final question before sure. we close this session. So I think I think you know just yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Go on that on that point I just want to add I think and this is very similar to being optimistic as as well, right? So I think mm-hmm. believing means having a lot of optimism, uh, which is something that uh, we had. Uh, while we were setting up point one, and which is something we also maintain while we talk to potential investing companies, right? So we uh, see the founder's vision and are optimi- are inclined uh, towards seeing how it works out in case it becomes a success, right? Because there can be a, there can be multiple factors which don't work out, but we pick up the optimistic point of view that in case it works out, what will happen, right? So I think that that essentially has kind of that experience of ours with our own stuff has helped us, uh, uh, you know, create a thesis uh, which is in this direction. And everywhere where we have taken a bet using this philosophy of ours, uh, we have seen uh, impressive, impressive results. Right. So, so I think, yeah, just to kind of uh, close the loop on on the learnings aspect. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so the last question I was going to ask is something similar to what you already said, but I, I'll go ahead anyway. Sure. <clears throat> so my question was that. Like, I think you graduated in 2014 and you mm. have been working for like around seven, eight years now. Mm. So what is one advice you would have given to a younger self in 2014 when you are just graduating out of your engineering college? Oh, this is again, uh, a tough one. Uh, nothing is coming to mind. Uh, at this point, my younger self. I think this is this is like a rapid fire sort of a question. <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, I mean something something on the lines of like like 
you have already answered what your learnings has been major mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like what your experience has been over the past 8 years that contradicts what your inhibitions were 8 years down so like before you started i would say i would say you know probably you know at least in in case i have to, i had to change one thing right i would mm-hmm. probably have you know start, joined startups a bit earlier itself right so i think uh, you know that would have been a, i mean if if you look at what i'm doing right now mm-hmm. it would have been added a lot more to my own learning obviously i mean we are in a we are in a good good uh, space and shape right now right but mm-hmm. probably in case i would have gotten into startups early i would i would have had more insights right so those, mm-hmm. those two years that i spent in a completely different uh, spectrum they could have been better utilized if i had uh, been in a startup uh, life itself but but again you know this is uh, no one knows you know had i been in startups probably i would have been an entrepreneur not an investor so who knows sure so thanks a lot meer i think it was a great discussion uh, got a lot of insights about the startup ecosystem angel investing which is something which is not really talked about a lot and i hope the listeners enjoy this a lot uh, thanks for your time meer thanks sure. a lot great uh, thanks a lot for having me here prabhu really enjoyed uh, you know interacting with you and uh, have a great evening thank you thank you it's a wrap from rn